The following is a continuation in our series looking at how God uses us to help one another. We hope you enjoy. Let's pray. And tonight we're going to ask the question, who first gives us help? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time that we can come together and that we can be in fellowship with one another. We pray that as we open your scriptures tonight, that you would teach us about what it means to fear you over fearing man and how that plays out in our faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we have been working through a book called Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer by Paul David Tripp which is a fantastic book if you ever have a chance to read it. And he shares an opening illustration from early on in his ministry. It's kind of lengthy, but I want you to bear with me because this actually helps paint a picture of what we're going to be talking about tonight. So Paul David Tripp, he says, When I was a young pastor, I loved to preach. I worked hard on my sermons. I planned my preaching series a year at a time. I prepared weeks in advance for every message and developed creative outlines to support my key points. I carried sermon files around with me so that I could add and delete illustrations when inspiration struck. I would preach each sermon to myself until I had almost completely memorized it, so I'd only need a brief outline from the pulpit. I tried to preach it with passion that matched the content of the message. I was sure our congregation was being well-fed on spiritual food that I was serving them each week. One day, a member of the congregation asked to meet with me privately, and I was so excited. I was convinced that my preaching had convicted Pete to talk about things that God had exposed in his heart. But when we sat down, Pete said, I know you probably think that I'm here to talk about me, but I'm actually here to talk about your preaching. You're killing us. At first, I thought it was just me, but I know that there are others that feel the same way. You're driving us crazy. So I'm here to give it to you straight. And he said, is it the content or the delivery that upsets you? And he said, it's the whole thing. But I have a solution. And he handed me a set of tapes by a well-known preacher and said, just listen to these and do exactly what he does. And you'll understand how to preach a decent sermon. To which Paul David Tripp went home devastated. He says, I knew that the conversation had affected me, but I didn't realize how much it did until I got up to preach the next Sunday. Everyone looks normal to me except for this guy named Pete. His head seemed to be the size of a blimp. Everywhere I looked, I saw his disappointing face. I stumbled and stammered my way through the sermon and was relieved when it was finally over. The next Sunday was the same. I felt as if only Pete and I were in the room feeling his judgments. By the third week, I was determined to get Pete to approve of my preaching. And although I didn't fully realize it, I tried to craft a sermon to his liking. But they were not me, and it did not fly. This went on for about two months until the oldest lady in our congregation approached me after the service. She said she wanted to talk about my preaching, to which he said, oh, no, not you, too. She pointed her finger and said, Paul, I don't know what has happened to you or what has gotten to you, but you've lost your freedom in preaching. You may be preaching out of fear or the need to please, but something is wrong. You need to get up tomorrow and prepare what God has given you to preach and then preach it with courage or we're all in trouble. And with that, she walked out and he stood there knowing that she was exactly right. That he had quit serving God and begun preaching to please Pete. He'd been evaluating his success of each effort by the reaction of one person, Pete, as opposed to the true audience, which is Jesus. So I share that illustration with you because that actually is something that you and I do so often that when we hear critique from somebody, it often feels like it is the loudest voice in the room. So have you all ever been critiqued by somebody? They pointed out something wrong that you've done, okay? And a lot of times, here's how critique goes. Someone approaches you. They tell you something about you that they don't like or something that you've done. And then they go on to say something super vague, like there's a lot of other people that feel this way. But they don't actually give you any concrete evidence to prove that. They're just trying to make it feel like it's this big burden. 
And what that does to us, this is a weakness of mine, too. I've had to deal with this in so many ways in my time in ministry, and I've failed in a lot of ways with this. But the Lord has really tried to teach me to approach this differently. What we tend to do in those moments is what? We listen to that voice. And sometimes it's the only voice we listen to. For Paul David Tripp, it was Pete. Like every time he got up to preach, he was so worried about Pete that he had a hard time loving and caring for and shepherding everybody else that was in the room. Now, you can raise your hands to answer this. What's the danger of that? Okay. Yeah, okay. One, <laughs> they could be flat out wrong. And in Pete's case, he was wrong, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's exactly what was happening with Mr. Tripp here. So he was so focused on making sure this one guy was happy that he left everybody else on their own. Okay. Now, none of y'all are preparing sermons every week, but all of us do this in various ways where we hear critique. And because we're sinful creatures and we don't know how to take critique, we often go worst case scenario and we make decisions based on that worst case scenario. Are you all familiar with the DEFCON system? The DEFCON system is essentially a way of describing the alertness level for our country. So it goes down from four to one. So if you're at DEFCON four, everything is relatively peaceful, relatively calm. DEFCON three, okay, we need to like put our antennas up a little bit. Some, some, we're hearing chatter. DEFCON two, we're starting to get you know ready for, for some kind of conflict. And DEFCON one is like red alert, all hands on deck. So often when we hear critique, what do we do? We automatically go to DEFCON one instead of actually working our way through the system. And that actually causes a lot of problems for us. I've almost train wrecked my ministry by focusing on one person's critique. It's not healthy and it's not good. And you don't have to just be in ministry for this to happen. This happens in all areas of life. So I'm hoping that tonight, as we talk about what it means to fear God over fearing man, that this is actually helpful. Because what we're going to see tonight is that if we fear God over fearing man, as we put aside our fear for man, that actually frees us up from our own anxieties and fears so that we can actually love and serve one another better. And that's kind of what I want us to see. Here's our main point. Jesus desires for his voice to be the loudest in your life. Jesus desires for his voice to be the loudest in your life. So two questions for tonight. What is the fear of man? What is the fear of God? We're going to start with Proverbs 29. So if you'll go ahead and turn there. Proverbs 29, 25. And I'll read that one for us. It says this. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Anxiety. Does anybody have anxiety or experienced anxiety? Okay. Y'all are teenagers. Y'all experience anxiety all the time. And you may not even realize it. Anxiety is very common for a lot of people because we worry about things. We worry about the unknown. We worry about what people think. The problem of anxiety is it comes in all shapes and sizes. It's going to look different for all of us. It's going to affect us in different ways. One of the major ways that we see anxiety come to the surface is through how we view other people's opinions. So have you ever had that moment where you're like, I don't know what my friend thinks of me in this moment or what this person thinks of me or what this teacher thinks of me? And it, it causes a lot of stress and anxiety on us. And we don't know what to do with that. See, when we desire the approval of others so much, so often that comes at the sacrifice of the true audience, which is God himself. We have an audience of one as Christians. We're here to Glorify God and enjoy him forever. He is our audience. But so often we put another audience in the way. We want to fear man over fearing God. And that's when things get really, really dicey for us. Ed Welch is one of my favorite authors. He writes, our problem is that we need them, the other people, more than we need love from God. 
for the glory of God. Okay. Solomon tells us the fear of man will prove to be a snare here. Do you all know what a snare is? It's essentially a trap. When you trap an animal, you trap them in a snare so that you can either relocate it, eradicate it, kill it, whatever it be. But there's this picture here that when we fear people's opinions over that reverent fear that we have of God, that actually puts us in a trap. It traps us. And when you're trapped in something, you can't get away from it. We are trapped in this fear. So an animal that's caught into a trap can't perform its basic functions When we are so enveloped in fearing man and other people's opinions, we are going to be enslaved to that fear. We're going to be enslaved and trapped in that fear. And we also will not be able to perform our basic functions as Christians. So the whole idea of glorifying God and enjoying him forever is incredibly hard when all we care about is Pete's opinion. If that's the focus, then we're actually taking our eyes off of the glory of God and trying to, in a sense, glorify Pete. And say, I want his approval. I need his approval. Here's a couple ways that we can see ourselves caught in this snare. Do you ever find yourself constantly wondering about your interactions with people? Do they think I'm stupid or lame? Did I talk too much? Did I talk too little? Did I say the right things? Did I say the wrong things? Do you ever find yourself constantly wondering how things went after big events? So like sports, theater, tests, how people view you. Did I do a good job? Is my teacher in a good mood today while they're grading? Will so-and-so be proud of me? Will so-and-so be ashamed of me? Do you ever find yourself constantly wondering about how you are viewed by others? Do they think I'm a hard worker? Do they think I'm lazy? Do they think I'm unprepared? Do they think I'm a faithful Christian? Do they think I'm a good leader? Do they think I'm a bad leader? If you find yourself constantly asking these types of questions, then it's probably a good sign that your heart is in a place where you're fearing man more than fearing God. And I don't say that as a means to shame you, because we're all there. right? We all experience that. I experience that. But... That should be a place where you can sit back and say, you know what? I'm asking a lot of these questions. I think I need some help. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that. Okay? All those questions that I just read you, they aren't bad questions. But if they're the only questions you're listening to, then something's off. And when we base our whole existence on the answers to them, that is the heart of fearing man over fearing God. So how does the fear of man show up for you? This is an illustration I read this week. During the hardest moments of a particular difficult year, this was in 2020, Bible searches soared online. So people were constantly searching for Bible verses in the year 2020. The app YouVersion, which is a Bible app, saw its increases search by 80%, nearly 6 million worldwide. And you know what the number one verses that were searched that year were? Isaiah's assurance to do not fear was the number one search. In the U.S., in India, Africa, in the Netherlands, in the Philippines, in Ghana, was Philippians 4.8, do not be anxious. There's this sense of when we feel this anxiety, we long for security, but too often we find security in the wrong places. We want to find security in what Caleb thinks of my message tonight, or what my parents thought about how I played on the sports field, or how my teacher views me. So often we place so much stock in those opinions, and that's not to say that those opinions don't matter. They do, but we often get them unprioritized. I don't know if that's, is that a word? The priorities are all mixed up. So we, we need to be reminded from the scriptures that the fear that we should have, not that this is easy, the fear that we should have comes in our reverent fear of God, as opposed to fearing other people. And when we do that, it actually frees us up a little bit. It frees us from that burden, it frees us from that enslavement, frees us from that snare, and actually gives us the ability to shepherd and care for one another better. So let's look at this fear of God. 
And from Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 6, 2, Caleb is going to come up and read that for us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, died, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Thank you. Okay, so the fear of God. When we hear the fear of God, we hear the word fear. And we sometimes struggle with what that means. So if you had to define what fear of God means, what would you say? Deja. A healthy dose of reverence. Okay, so how would you define the word reverence? Yeah, okay, so it's kind of a respectful view. So it's kind of the same way that, like, when I look at the ocean, I have a healthy fear of the ocean. Because the, yes, because of sharks. Uh, but the ocean is big. It's powerful. It can overtake us if we're not careful. Right? So when I look at the ocean, I have a respect for the ocean because I know that it is so much stronger than me. And I know that you know, if I'm not paying attention, the waves can throw me down and knock me over. There's a healthy respect there, a healthy fear. And that's kind of what we have when we fear God. There's a healthy, reverent respect for God because he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is big and he's strong in ways that we are not. Verse 17 tells us if anyone is in Christ, then he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So as we want to reshape the ways that our fears work, we have to start here. The fact that we are new creations. If we don't start there, then we're going to miss out on that transformation. If we start focusing on ourselves, then we're always going to have that fear of man. But if we start with the fact that we are created new in Christ, then that actually begins to to work in us. Because the fear of man will always distract us from that reminder. That we are a new creation. Okay, Jesus wants to free us from the burdens that we feel. Verses 18 to 19 show us that. So look at verses 18 and 19 real quick. In verse 18, all of this is from God. Christ reconciled us to himself. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And trusting to us the message of reconciliation. He did all of this. We did none of it. He's the one that's doing the transformation. He's the one that's doing the work. And he gives us that calling, and we're called to be something specific. You all right? Need some water? Okay, I just want to make sure you weren't, like, choking on a piece of bread. So we're called to be ambassadors. And what is the job of an ambassador? You can answer this. Okay, to represent your country or to represent something. Just something. You can be an ambassador for... Anything. An ambassador represents somebody else. All of their work is based on something else. They don't represent themselves. They represent a country. They represent a brand. They represent a person. Everything they do is geared towards that representation. So their personal opinions have to be put aside. Okay. So if, if an ambassador starts giving out their personal opinions at a meeting abroad, they can really get themselves in trouble 
And they can also ruin relationships between countries. So an ambassador has to stay focused on their task, which is serving someone else. There's an appropriate time and place for us to speak our opinions, but for ambassadors, they have to put those aside. Here's an example of an ambassador ruining something for the person they represent. So Oprah Winfrey was once convinced to represent a specific product for Microsoft. And Microsoft thought that they had hit jackpot when they got Oprah because when Oprah says anything, what do people do? They listen, right? And they all get cars. You get a car. You get a car. So they wanted her to support and promote this product. It was the Microsoft Surface. It was essentially the, the Microsoft version of an iPad. And here's what happened. Okay, she's supposed to promote this product, but at the time when this came out, the Microsoft Surface didn't have a Twitter app. So she had to do all these tweets to promote this product from her iPad. Okay, and you know, a lot of times on our phones it says sent from so-and-so's iPad, so-and-so's iPhone. So here she is trying to promote this product from a different, in fact, a opposing company's product. And let's just say that people start to notice this, okay? And it didn't go well for Microsoft. They spent somewhere between 1.5 to 1.8 billion dollars on this marketing campaign. And it didn't work. Okay? It was because the ambassador for the product didn't represent their product very well, okay? Uh, now, the motives behind her doing this, like, I don't think she meant out to sabotage this, but it was just the, the lack of, like, thinking about what, what are the optics on this, right? She might as well have just been promoting the iPad at that point because it wasn't doing what she was meant to do. So as ambassadors, as Jesus calls us to be ambassadors for Jesus, we have one particular job, and that is to represent our Savior here on this earth. In everything that we do, whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Now, we fail at that all the time, right? You guys fail at being that, that ambassador? Because okay. I fail at it all the time. You know, an ambassador, again, is supposed to represent and be all in on what they represent. For Oprah, this was a catastrophic failure in marketing. In the case of Microsoft, financial and reputationally, they took a big hit. Okay, If a country's ambassador goes rogue and starts pushing for things and aligning themselves with things that don't represent their country, they're going to get in trouble with their sending country. For us, as the church, we need a healthy view of what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. Because so often, we start bringing in our own personal opinions we start bringing in our own struggles and issues, and that affects the way that other people view us. It affects the way that people view the church. It affects the way that people view Christianity in general. And sometimes we're just not very good ambassadors. And I hate to use this word, but, but please don't think of it this way. We're not great ambassadors for the product that we represent. Okay? Not that Christianity is a product. I'm just trying to give you a word picture here. So questions that we should be asking ourselves, how we can be better ambassadors, is what is God's calling for you as a student What's God calling for you as a friend or neighbor? What's God's calling for you as a son or daughter? What is God's calling for you in your work? What's God's calling for you in your free time? Because we represent God in every area of our lives. And if we only think that we represent Jesus on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, then all those other times during our week that we should be representing Jesus, we might see those failures. We might see ourselves promoting something worldly or something, something different. So we need to be mindful of how we're representing God. Because the problem is that oftentimes we forget, or even worse, we don't want to be ambassadors for Jesus. We'd rather leave that to the professionals, the missionaries, the pastors. Okay? And yes, my job is to promote Jesus. I am pro-Jesus. Okay? I want you to be pro-Jesus. Okay? But I should not be the only one in this room that's pro-Jesus. We are all pro-Jesus because what? We are the church. We are Christians. We're all ambassadors for Jesus. Think about this. 
What would it be like if husbands and wives were ambassadors just for themselves rather than for each other? Yeah, it's not going to be a very good marriage. It's not going to be a very satisfying marriage. There's always going to be somebody who's upset or frustrated. What would it be like if friends were ambassadors for themselves rather than for the friendship? Be a lot of frustrated people and a lot of hurt friends out there. What if employees were ambassadors for their own interests rather than for the job that they did? Okay. Yeah, they would probably get fired and they wouldn't do their job very well. So in, in all of these cases, the focus is on who? The individual rather than what they represent, rather than what they're being an ambassador for. This is why this will never work. Because if we're approaching things selfishly, we're always going to be worried what other people think. We're always going to be worried about how we performed or how we did. And that's going to lock us into that snare where we can't actually love each other well and love Jesus well. And that's why this healthy fear of God is the space in which we need to operate. I want you to see that the true change that comes in your life and the change that comes in other people's lives comes from this kind of posture. It comes from this, I love God so much and I know he's powerful. I know that he can forgive my sins. And I know that he is working in me. I know that he is the one that has made me a new creation. And because of that, here's how I desire to live. And here's how I desire to treat other people. Here's how I desire to receive that critique. Am I going to take it so personally? Can I actually receive it without getting so bent out of shape? I want you to ask God to help you quit being ambassador for yourself, but rather for him. Because this world is screaming for your attention, and this world is telling you that who do you need to be an ambassador for? What does the world tell you? Yourself. All the advertising, all the TV shows, all the movies, they're all saying it's all about you. And the scriptures are very clear that life isn't about us. And if life was about us, then, you know, life stinks. Because how's it working out for us? If we're all selfish, we're all going to make each other mad. We're all going to disappoint each other. But if we focus on our love of God, that will translate into love for one another. It'll help us to help each other. It'll help us to walk alongside each other. It'll help us to be that support for one another. So we need to fear God and not fear man. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these passages that direct us towards how we need to live life and how we need to focus on things. I do pray that as we spend some time tonight not doing small groups, but doing a few different things, Lord, that you would uh, help us to just reflect on the beauty of the transformation that you do in us, Lord, and how that actually works itself out, Lord, to make us less selfish and to make us more focused on you. So I pray that for these students, I pray that for these leaders, I pray that for myself. Let's pray that you would help us to leave here better, Lord, because we spent time in your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WIM.